Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Bramble Jam podcast. Titus Judah and Zion, you treated this like an adventure. One great adventure. You didn't see any problem with having to live in a hotel and then going to an Airbnb. You thought we were on vacation. You were loving every minute of it. And Jessica and I, uh, this was a huge point of conflict and adversity in our life. What's up, dads? Welcome to another episode of Our Dad's Diary. I am your bald, bearded, and beautiful host, Jonathan Parker. And today's conversation is going to be around a topic that if you Google it, go to Amazon, type in the word, it's going to be something that comes up all the time, and that's something called leadership. But as a dad, you know the concept of leadership starts in your home with your kids. And we are privileged to have Carl Sharpinson with us today. On, on Our Dad's Diary as a guest to talk about dad life and how leadership continues to move through his whole being. So Carl, thank you so much for being on today's episode. It's a pleasure, glad to be here. So before we dive into your dad life and some of what you do and what you're passionate about, let's just answer this first question. Who are you a dad to? That's a great question. I am a dad to Carl the third. Carl the third. The third, I'm a junior. Okay. And Casey. Okay. Carl is 32 and Casey's 29. Okay, tell us a little bit about Carl and Casey. What were they like as kids? What are they doing now? Wow, my Brag son. Brag on the kids. Yeah, my son was uh, an interesting um, project. Uh, he was uh, very outgoing, talked a lot, would kind of get in trouble at school, raise his hand, spoke out all the time, but never was a bad child. He pushed the envelope. Uh, very smart. Uh, I thought once upon a time that he he didn't like reading, but I'd read sports articles, and in in the sports articles there would be good things that happened to the figures, and then bad things. And I'd give it to him and say, "Read that," and within like ten minutes he'd give it back. I says, "Have you read it?" He said, "Yes, sir." I said, "Well, tell me about it, chapter and verse." Wow. So stuff that he liked, all in. He likes to read. Yeah, yeah. So he grew up that way. Um, in at the age of sixteen. He became a salesperson at um, Champs Sporting Goods. Okay. And within three weeks, he was the number one salesperson in the store. Okay. Three months, he was the number one salesperson in the region. He came home. I said, Carl, um, what kind of training program did you go through? He says, I didn't. 
I said, well, tell me about your process. He said, well, the mother comes in, the child comes in. I asked them both what they want. I sent the child, I sent the mother down, go take the child, get it, and they're satisfied. You know, so he has a natural skill mm. for selling. Um, got an undergrad degree at Savannah State, started out in electrical engineering, transferred to marketing, did six, he was on the six year and a summer program. Oh, wow. <laughs> six years and a summer, right? Finally got out. And then while he was in his senior year, somebody told him about an MBA. Which stood for a mega bank account. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he says, Dan, I need to get one of those. I says, Carl, I don't have the money. I suggest that you not do that. I said, I can put you together, set you up with some people, get you in a selling role, and you can do very, very well. Nope. MBA, he figured out a way to pay for it. And he meandered around for three or four different years in different companies. Finally, he landed at a company called Jam F up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. So he's a sales executive. So it's a management program for selling Apple products. Oh. So he's really thriving in that. But he's 32. So, it, you know, he winded around the wilderness for a while. Wow. That's him. My daughter is 29. She um, graduated from Daniel High School, cheerleader, uh, in the band, uh, outstanding student, Girl Stouts, pageants, did all that kind of stuff. Did a lot of everything. Good student. Graduated from uh, Claflin University with a marketing degree with a um, minor in Spanish. Okay. Did a semester studying abroad in Costa Rica. Very nice. Uh, now she works for a company up in uh, Virginia called K-12 Insight. And she's okay. a customer service representative where she does training. So that's them. Well, and then we were talking on the phone just this week. She also has a podcast and a book. Talk she, a little bit about that. She does. Uh she interviewed me on her podcast uh, for my birthday, matter of fact, which is the 24th of January. And then I authored my book uh, two years ago, almost three years ago, and she authored her book about eight months ago. Wow. But she was really the impetus for pushing me over the ledge for me authoring my book. Mm -hmm. But her book is called Build, Dream, and Repeat, uh, and she's really, really wise both for years. Hmm, that's pretty awesome. So that's the book and her podcast? Or no, same? no. Uh, yes, it is. That's same right. Build, name. Dream, and Repeat. Yep, same number. Re build, Dream, and Repeat. Wow. So, and you said your son is up in Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Minnesota. Do you go up there much? I've been up there twice. Did you go during winter yet? In the summer. <laughs> Summers only. <laughs> There's a lot of snow up, up in that way. My cousin lives in, in that area and it is amazing how much snow they get during the winter. And I grew up in the North, so I grew up in Connecticut and we got snow, but nothing, nothing like way out there. Yeah. It's a different kind of Different kind of cold. Different kind of cold, for sure. And then is your daughter local to the Greenville area? She uh, lives in um, Reston, Virginia, Okay, which is where she lives. But for the last, I guess since the 9th of June, my wife had back surgery the 9th of June. So she came down to uh, be with her and she works from home. Uh, and then my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in the middle of August. So she's also uh, staying here for that. But she's, you know, kind of stationed in Northern Virginia. Well, it must be nice to have your daughter home, even though your son is coming it, away. It is. It's been an interesting journey because, you know, it's been a while since we've really spent any time with her as an adult. Okay. You remember what she was like as a teenager and a young adult. Right. A little shaky there. Is she staying at your house? She is. So that must be <laughs> quite, quite an adjustment for everybody. It is. Redefining boundaries. But it's been good to have that conversation. Right. And uh, your wife... We were talking before, too. She just had some treatment. How is she doing overall? She's doing good. She had her second chemo treatment last Monday, and uh, it was better than the first one because they mitigated it with some drugs and things like that. But, you know, she's a trooper, and she's continuing to 
move forward, keep her head down, and eventually we'll get through this. We are. How long have you all been married? 34 years. That's awesome. So great. Well, before we keep talking about uh, your, your dad life, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, so we know being a dad is a full-time job. You're always thinking about your kids. You're always concerned about what they're doing and how they're doing. So we know being a dad's a full-time job, but there's other things we have to do to pay the bills, keep the lights on, food on the table. So talk a little bit about what you do and just a little bit about your past so our guests or our listeners can get to know you. Okay. Well, kind of starting in the beginning, I was born in Washington, D.C. That's where I um, grew up. Uh, dad was worked, always worked two jobs. He was a uh, West, he, he delivered mail for Western Union. Uh, as well as he um, started up his own photo engraving shop. So that's kind of what he oh. did. So he did, a, he worked a lot. Uh, and then when he took off, he was always asleep. So I didn't see a whole lot of him during the time period while we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, but he was always a good provider. We always went to church. Uh, he poured in that way. He was a good example. My mother um, was the daughter of a Virginia tobacco sharecropper in Virginia. Um, left home at the age of 16, moved to Washington, D.C., became a domestic, cooking, cleaning, and things like that for, for, for people. That's kind of what she did. But she was self-taught. She was always learning something. She was a master baker, a seamstress. She kind of taught herself how to do all of that. Uh, and she was the encourager. I never heard her say a disparaging word to anybody ever in my life. Wow. She was the one in the neighborhood that people always call and get advice from. Right. So I get that perspective from my mother and then my dad was the worker uh, the provider uh kind of strict disciplinary and he was actually a world war ii marine in marine corps which was in the um, segregated marine corps in the 1940s wow. so i grew up in washington dc at the age of 14 we moved to spotsylvania virginia which is 60 miles south of washington dc my dad wanted to get us out of the city okay. and get us in the country because he thought it would be a better environment so that's where our, uh we we landed at 14 integrated a school there uh, called Spotsylvania High School. I learned a lot about life, learned a lot about people. Uh, I saw people going from calling me names to being my best friend, primarily because we got to know each other. Right. My high school coach, Coach Sparks, was the third most influential person in my life. He's the one that um, gave a talk I'll never forget. Uh, my freshman year, I went off for football. He said, uh, you got your pass today. If you don't want to play, turn them in, no harm, no foul. He said, if you come back the next day, I need you to stay till the end of the season. Because quitters never win and winners never quit. He said, if you quit my football team, you might quit school. Quit school and get married, you might quit your spouse. Have kids, you might quit your kids. Because once you quit the first time, it's easy to quit the next time. So I developed a mindset of never quitting, which was probably one of those powerful lessons that I've ever learned in my life. Right. Um, so this same coach sent the recruiter to my high school to recruit me to play football at the Naval Academy. And I didn't know what the Naval Academy was and it was only 90 miles up the road. Right. Primarily because there weren't a whole lot of people that looked like me that were going to the Naval Academy. <laughs> so the recruiter came, myself and two other guys, he talked to us. Uh, this was during the Vietnam War. Okay. Uh, the other two guys walked out, said, we're not going to Vietnam. I listened, because my dad always told me, never turn down an opportunity that you haven't been offered. Oh, that's good. So I listened. And I went home and talked it over with him. He said, it's a pretty good school, pretty good deal. You might want to do it. Nobody else was knocking on the door to give me some free money. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to go for it. Couldn't get in straight away because my SAT and my GPA was not competitive. I had pretty good math skills because I had some uh, great training from my third grade teacher. I was good at grammar. Reading comprehension probably wasn't my strong suit. 
So I could not get in. They sent me to a prep school in Harlingen, Texas, called Marine Military Academy, Southern Tip of Texas. So there I learned military discipline. I learned how to study for the first time. I didn't realize that in order to study and you open up a book and read it, you don't understand it, you read it again. <laughs> right. You read it again. So anyway, I prepped, uh, got into the academy, graduated 1976. Played football? I did. Played football at the Naval Academy, uh, which was an interesting experience. Uh, we played Michigan, Notre wow. Dame, Penn State, all the big schools. Wow. What position were you? I played wide receiver. Nice. Wide receiver. After uh, graduation, I decided to go into the Marine Corps, decided to become a pilot in the Marine Corps. So the, the mindset that Coach Sparks taught me about never quitting played out in a couple of different ways. When I was at the academy, a freshman year, again, I kind of barely got in. So uh, I'm struggling in, in chemistry. Mm. So I can remember crying myself to sleep, saying, Lord, what am I going to do? I said, you know what? I'm not going to quit. So I went in and talked to the professor. Professor, professor uh, gave me some training for about an hour. It made a little bit more sense. <laughs> but what I did was I committed that I would spend as much time as I needed in chemistry. So I spent more time in chemistry than my other subjects put together. Wow. I made a B in chemistry both semesters. But that was an example of quitters never win, and winners never quit. In flight school, they tell you the first day that the attrition rate was 66%. So one out of three that start ground school do not get their wings. So when I heard that, I looked to the left. I looked to the right. I said, y'all not going to be here, but I'm going to be here. Because <laughs> Coach Sparks said quitters never win and winners never quit. Right. So I carried that through. Um, after five and a half years in the Marine Corps, got on the Marine Corps, worked for Procter & Gamble in Albany, Georgia for five and a half years there in Georgia, Cincinnati, Ohio for two and a half years. Uh, then I left P&G and went to work for Frito-Lay in Indianapolis, Indiana. Right. Worked there for three years, manufacturing, engineering, operations of chips, uh, and then moved further west to Topeka, Kansas, uh, to work in a union facility as a plant manager for a company called Colgate Palmolive, and the subsidiary was Hills Pet Nutritions. We made science diet and prescription diet cat and dog food. First time I'd ever worked in a union facility. But what I learned uh, through all of that was people really want the same thing. Whether it's union, non-union, black, white, purple, doesn't make any difference. They want to be loved, they want to be respected, and they want to be successful. I'm continuously moving west. Parents are getting older, living in Virginia. My wife's in Florida. I said, you know what? I need to get back somewhere between those two states. Right. So I took a job with Dunlap Slaughter in Westminster, South Carolina, okay. just, just south of uh, Clemson, lived in Clemson. And after about a year, my boss and I agreed to disagree, parted ways. So then I said, okay, I'm in the right location. What am I going to do? Hmm. So I said, what can I sell? What can I, um, what would people want to buy? So I started doing executive coaching, hmm. team building, strategic planning, uh, speaking. So I started doing that in 2000. And then 06, 07, when the economy tanked, people stopped spending money on training and development. <laughs> right. Then I started doing professional recruiting. Little did I know that they weren't recruiting a whole lot either. Right. So since then, I've kind of done a little bit of all of that. Nice. And then two years ago, I authored my first book called Sharp Leadership, Overcome Adversity to Lead with Authenticity, uh, which is a pretty powerful book. It's an easy read. I call it a manual for overcoming adversity mm. in any environment, in any stage of life. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which wow. is a type of cancer. So all that's in the book. Of The way I've always lived my life is things would happen. And I said, what did I learn from it? What am I going to do about it? Hmm. I've been married 34 years and told you about the kids. Wow. So that stage, you had stage four cancer how many years ago? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. How long was that journey in, for, into remission? Oh, uh, well, when it was diagnosed, 
um, it manifested itself in my stomach. So by the time I was finally diagnosed with that type of cancer, I looked like I was six months pregnant, face sunken in, arms sunken in, legs sunken in, because it was very, very aggressive. Um, and then uh, they treated me with six rounds of chemotherapy, three weeks apart, and uh, during that time period, and after I had that, those, those chemos, and uh, a few, few weeks after that, um, they said that the cancer was gone. And then, I mean, in fact, I just had a, an appointment with my doctor last week, and he says uh, after the next appointment, they'll consider it to be in remission, and I won't have to see him anymore. Wow. That, yeah. It's going to be an exciting day. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that all comes to pass. So question about the football, just because I'm curious, where, where was your favorite place to score a touchdown? Favorite place? Yeah, like against what team or what stadium? What was it like? Uh, to tell you the truth, I never scored a touchdown. Okay. <laughs> then where was your favorite place to play? Um, probably Notre Dame. Okay. Either Notre Dame or Michigan. Michigan, when we played Michigan, um, the stadium was like 100,000 people. Yeah, it's huge. And at that point in time, we were just coming back with football. So that would be band day. So they'd have all the local bands there to fill up the stadium. <laughs> But we almost awesome. beat them one year. We came very close. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go to Notre Dame and to Michigan because you just look at those stadiums. They get 100,000 people in there. It's crammed in there. It's absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, so before we keep talking about your dad life and your relationship with your kids, let's go back a little bit. Now looking back, how would you describe your, how would you describe your relationship with your dad when you were a kid and a teenager? I would say the first 14 years, I didn't see him a whole lot, pretty much on the weekends, because he worked two jobs. He got up early in the morning. He came home in the evening, well, at night. And then when he came home, he was tired. So we really never saw him, except on the weekends, we'd go to church with him, right? So the way I remember my dad in the early, early days was always kind of cranky. Okay. You know, uh, irritable. Yeah. Um, and... When my mother said, I'm going to wait till your daddy comes home, that's a problem. <laughs> I'm going to tell your daddy when he comes home, that's a problem. Tired and irritable, right? Right. right. <laughs> right. So, so then we moved from, from uh, Washington, D.C. to Spotsylvania, Virginia. And he strategically did that because he knew that the city did not have, was not a good place to rear kids, at, at least during that time period, his thought. Um, so he strategically did that. And he also um, created more time which means he could participate in the activities. He could go to my football game. He could go to my baseball game and things like that. Uh, and he did farming, not farming, but gardening. So, and, and then he got to a point where, I mean, he, he's kind of like my son. I think that's where my son gets it from. He can sell ice to Eskimos, building relationships. That's kind of what he does. So uh, one of the many things that he did was if he could find something and he could make a, a margin on it, he'd sell it. Peanuts, vegetables, clothes. It didn't make any difference. You know, so that's what he did. Uh, so when he when I became 14, junior high and high school, uh, I spent a lot more time with him. OK, so it was a positive relationship. Um, I mean, he was he was a good example. Um, good wisdom. And, and I, I compare myself to my kids. And when I was growing up, I would never, ever tell my dad or my mother that I disagree with them to their face. I would <laughs> never do that. Right? Okay. No matter what they said, I would listen. Right. Then I'd go do what I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I right. would at least listen. You know? Listen to him. Yeah. So, but, but your kids, they would tell you that they disagreed. Still with do. Still. <laughs> it hasn't changed.
We're going to keep this conversation going about dad life, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when you think about back to, I mean, the difference, the difference between, you know, your dad in D.C. when you were living in the city and then the dad in the farming, what was some of those pivotal changes that you saw? in him that really affected your relationship for the positive when the, the move happened. Yeah. I think just having more time with him, there was a, um, a specific incident that I remember uh, when we moved to uh, Virginia. So he, he, we had a house in, in DC, a small house. He sold that house and he built another house in okay. Virginia, right? In the country, in the woods. And, um, it was unpaved as far as the gra- gra- driveway and things like that. So I can remember sitting out in front of the house and him saying, he says, uh, when I moved here, I had a dream that I was going to do this. He says, I did not have a job. He says, I came here without a job. I left two jobs and came here without a job. But God will provide. He says, I can do multiple things. So what he started doing was he was a cab driver. So he'd actually drive from um, Virginia to D.C. and 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 run a cab and get tips. Uh, He also worked as a uh, pressman at a place called the uh, Inquantico, which was a a store that sold clothes to Marines, and he did depression for that. Uh, And then he also had some odd things that he was doing at the house, selling things. So he did whatever he needed to do to to pay the bills. Wow. And he had the freedom and the flexibility to do it. Very entrepreneurial type mindset. So you've dedicated the... You know, a, a large part of your life to the concept of leadership. Did you start seeing some of the principles that you talk about now in your dad? How would you define? How would your dad have defined leadership when you were growing up? That's a good question. I'll tell you the things that he did and my mother did that I think are consistent to the leadership principles that I have developed and learned. One is he was very consistent. Uh, when he said he was going to do something, he did it. Um. He um, had great work ethic, um, and he was very creative. I never heard him say, I can't. That can't was a four-letter word. No matter what was going on, he says, we'll figure it out. My mother, kind of the same thing, she was an encourager, which is one of the key things that a leader does, is to encourage people, listen, encourage. Uh, and she, again, was very talented. would never say, I can't or won't. She'd figure it out. Uh, and she always encouraging people. So when I think about the combination of what they brought to the party, that's a pretty good foundation. I didn't know it at the time, but that's, uh, and, and the other thing, you, you always look back at it. I didn't realize until I was in prep school, 
how blessed I was. Okay, so I'm in this prep school. It's a private prep school. Most of the people send their kids there to, some of them, half of them probably to get rid of them. Half of them might have discipline problems because of military school. Mm-hmm. But I can remember listening to my roommate talk about his parents. I'm thinking, whoa, I never experienced that. I never say that about my parents. So that's when I learned how blessed I was. So it took you leaving the house to be able to look back, which I think happens to all of us, right? I think all, I mean, it probably happens to, uh, daughters too, but I only speak from a son's standpoint. The the more distance you get from your parents, if the relationship was good and they were healthy, the more you realize how smart they were. Exactly. And I think that that is such a blessing and such a gift to have because a lot of men and women just don't have that these days. The um, the the blessing to be reared in a home with two parents that loved you consistently. I mean, you don't get didn't get any better than that. One other piece about your relationship with your dad as you were growing up, specifically when you moved to Virginia, you had to go to an integrated school. Mm-hmm. How did your dad guide you, counsel you through that process? It's a good question. I didn't get, I don't remember getting a whole lot of guidance, but what I did, when he was in Washington, D.C., and he had his business, okay. right? He was the first, I think he was the first black in D.C. to have a photo engraving business. He actually, he told me one time, he actually had the federal government come to his place to investigate him because the equipment that he had could print money. Wow. <laughs> so, but I saw him, he had contracts with school systems and the government and stuff like that. It was a small business, which means he had to communicate with a lot of different people that right. looked a whole lot different than him. Yeah. So as a small child, I can see him dealing and doing that kind of stuff, you know? So he was... Um, you know, a good salesperson, good communicator. Uh, so we moved to Spotsylvania, and I can remember myself not wanting to tell him or my mother what was going on. I just didn't want to do it. You know, just because I didn't want to, I, I, either I didn't want to get them involved, you know, to, to get involved with me or whatever, but for whatever reason, I didn't. So, um, so there wasn't a whole lot of guidance. Mm. So what was that experience like for you then? I mean, didn't want to share with them. You kind of just went in through that process by yourself. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was pretty trying. Um, the so, okay, I'll give you an example. So there was a family that lived across the street from us, a white family, uh, and and they uh, had cows and we built hay with them. We were friends with them, ate at their table and things like that. But when it time when it came time to get on the bus to go to school. They didn't treat us badly, but they didn't let everybody know they were our best friend, right? So I saw people in different environments take on different personalities. And I, I call it in my book, Wearing the Mask. You know, people wear different masks depending on where they are, right. who they're with, uh, what they want to get and things like that. There are very few people that are consistent and authentic. Uh, but I saw people change once they got to know me and I got to know them. That was the game changer. Um, so to, to answer the question about what the guidance that they get and how, how it went through it, it was kind of like I was there and I did the best I could with what I had. And being in it, I couldn't walk away from it. Right. Right. So I had to learn how to deal in that environment. It was tough, but those skills that I learned there have served me well throughout life. The skills you've learned being in that environment, not just in the school, but having to walk through that. Yep. Is there one big 
one big takeaway from that time? I mean, you mentioned the football coach mm -hmm. and how, how much that saying and that influence in your life. But as you were thinking about the process of the integrating into the school, can you think of one big takeaway, one big lesson that has impacted you throughout the rest of your life? I just think that whole process of, of just being in it and going through it and seeing people kind of change their mindset uh, was, was, was critical to me. Um, because in life, you're going to be in situations that you might not be able to get out of. So what are you going to do? You know, uh, and it taught me a lot about people. It taught me a lot about what the, the taught me a lot about what people are really, really about. Everybody wants to be loved, respected and successful. So if I know that, then, and I'm having a conversation with you, uh, then uh, I know that if you're saying some hurtful things or doing some hurtful things, that you have a problem. You haven't. It's not my issue, right? It's not my issue. I'll give you a quick example. So I was at a uh, recent. This is recent. It's probably within the last six months. I was at an event, a veterans event. Okay. My wife and I. It was. Uh, it was in um, uh, the civic center. And there were maybe three, four, five hundred people, veterans, right? My wife and I were the only people there that looked like us. Okay. Okay. So they started auctioning off equipment, uh, paintings, pictures, and stuff like yeah. that. One of them was a Confederate flag. Really? Yeah. They were auctioning, auctioning off a Confederate flag? Well, not the flag, but a, a, a painting of it. Right. Right, right. Okay. So how many people that look like me would be able to sit through that <laughs> right. and not get up or not go crazy? or implode, or something like that, right? I know the deal. <laughs> wow. You know? So, so, you know, so things like that, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's just a, it's something that you, you, you figure out to deal with. Wow. I can't believe that happened. And you said this was within six months ago. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, then, looking back on your relationship with your dad and kind of growing up, is there one story or a couple stories that you look back on and say, man, this is where my dad and I really connected. And then from that story of your dad or of you and your dad, what advice do you take from that that you would share with our listeners who are dads or even with your kids? Um, the one that I talked about where we were um, in the lawn and he talked about he was going to, he didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's a pretty powerful uh, lesson there that I still remember. Um, and then as an adult, I was 20, I'm 30 years old. I was about 30 years old. I had gotten out of the Marine Corps okay. and I started working for Procter & Gamble. And during that time period, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Brain tumor before the cancer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah wow. Brain tumor when I was like 30 years old. So during the time period that I had the brain tumor, I had surgery at um, Chance Teaching School in the University of North Carolina, right? So okay. at that time, my, my mother and my father came up. So I was getting ready to go into surgery, and my dad told me for the first time that he loved me. As in, how old were you? 32, uh, 30. 30 first years old? The first time I could remember ever hearing him say that. Okay, so how, what was that moment like for you leading up to it, never hearing your dad say he loved you, and then... That moment, what walk us through well, some of that? Well, see, I I didn't I did I never felt like I was missing it because he didn't say it because folk didn't just say it men just didn't I mean I, I mean you, you hear men say I love you, 
right? So that just was one something. It wasn't something that happened. So when I heard it, it was now he showed love, right? But he never said. It. Hmm. So that day he says it to you. What what was that? I mean, you're about to go in for brain surgery. Mm -hmm. What was that feeling like hearing your dad say to your memory the first time, I love you? What was that like for you? It was memorable. That's yeah. all I can say. And I can remember praying because, you know, once you go under the knife, you don't know whether or not you're going to wake up. Right. They put you under sedation. You just don't know. So I can remember saying to myself at night, Lord, if I don't wake up, I've lived a very, very productive life. It's 30 years old, and I look back at my life, things that I've done, I said, that's a blessing. So what would you say to a dad right now who's listening who haven't, hasn't up until this point, or maybe it took a while for their dad to say, hey, I love you. What would you say to them who, that are struggling with that fact that they don't, yes, they know their dad has shown it to them, but they've never actually heard it. What advice, counsel, would you give them since it took 30 years for that to happen for you? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say, say it, say it often. Uh, and I, it's important to let your young, let your children know that you love them no matter what they do. So they might do something, they might mess up or something like that, and you still love them. You know? But you know, you need to be consistent. You don't want to say you love them and act in different ways. So right. as long as you're consistent with it, it's good. If you if you do the flip side, if you don't do that, it can be uh, counterproductive. So because of that situation with your dad, did you express more of your love to your kids? Yes. In intentionally because of all that? Correct. Wow. Right. Sometimes we learn from not only what our dads do, in our memories, but also what they don't do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the don't do is what impacts us most as we're raising our own kids. So you, you've had cancer and was the brain tumor cancer? No, it wasn't cancerous. It just, yeah, it's called an acoustic neuroma, which is a, a tumor that grows on the hearing nerve. So I detected it when I was getting out of the Marine Corps and they could see that the high decibel range in my right ear was slowly decreasing. And when okay. I got out, they said I had wax in my ears. So after two years, I'm continuing to get <laughs> health screenings and it's still happening. Oh, wow. So I went to an ear, nose, and throat specialist and said, you probably got this. They did a scan. They said, yes, you do. You need to have it removed. So uh went to three doctors. Uh, one of them had a mannequin on the desk and said, <laughs> I, I've never done this before, but I think I'd do this. Uh, I think I'll move on. <laughs> I think I'll do this. <laughs> so I went to uh, Shan's teaching school, which had one of the top surgeons in that area, a guy named Dr. Roten. Wow. And he uh, operated on me and cut my skull open and put a hole about that big and uh, took, the, took the tumor out and pulled the skin over. I still got a hole in my skull. But uh, he said, don't do anything. Well, he said, don't go back to work for two months. During that time period, I had a dog, a German shepherd named Sheik. We used to walk all the time in the neighborhood. So we'd walk, walk, walk. After two months, doctor says, go back to doing what you were doing. Wow. So, and I haven't had lost any more hearing than hearing that I lost then. Wow. So through your, you've had quite a medical journey. What are some of the lessons you've taken out of those and advice you would give to a dad right now who's in some physical ailments, some illnesses, and they're working through what it's like to be a dad and a, and a husband and then, you know, someone trying to work? What, what advice would you give them? Well, one of the things that I learned, and this is kind of, and like at the Naval Academy, you go through a lot of different scenarios where, you're put under stress to do things and you have a lot of stuff thrown at you and you got to figure out what you're going to do. So when life comes at you, 
what I have seen to be most beneficial is simplify. So all this stuff is coming at you. You say, okay, what's the number one, two, three things that I can do? Put together a plan to do that and focus on that. So when I got hit with cancer, uh, I says, okay, what do I need to do? I need to simplify. Okay. So my number one goal was to get healthy. So I walked every day, even when I was having chemotherapy. Uh, I would put some positive things in my head, scripture, verses. Uh, and uh, that's kind of how I spent my time focused on that and, and getting healthy. Um, so I would, the advice that I would give is uh, simplify, figure out what's important. Pandemic is a prime example that we got going on now. Folks' routines have been disrupted. Mm -hmm. So they got to uh, simplify, figure out what they need to work on and keep your head down and keep moving. What, what happens a lot of times is people get overwhelmed. They start thinking about the future and worrying about the future, but they don't have a plan. So all they're doing is worrying about it. So you gotta look at the look at what you want to do, but say, okay, what can I do today? Yeah. So when I wake up in the morning, I know I can get there. Mm -hmm. And you just gotta keep plugging and chugging. Yeah. That what can you do today? Take one step. You don't need to know the nine after that. Just take that one step. No matter what we're facing, you know, health, whether there's relationship issues, the the COVID pandemic right now, it's just what's the one next step? What's the one next step that we can do? Correct. So now jumping back into uh, your dad life after we've looked a little bit at, at your past. So we know that uh, being a dad and being someone who works and wants to be successful and wants to provide and wants to make an impact at times, the intersection of family life, dad life and work at the intersection, things cross. And sometimes it's cause for celebrations and cause for some challenges. So looking back on your time as a dad, when your kids were growing up and even now with your kids being adult, what have been some of the challenges and celebrations when life, uh, when dad life and work life intersect? The, uh, it's a couple of things that I'd say. One is um, the way I, well, let's do it this way. So one of the things that I believe is that once I made a decision to bring someone else in the world, and the only reason they're here is because of a choice that I made, and I'm totally accountable for that individual until they become an adult, okay? So when you think about life like that and that responsibility, then I'm backtracking and saying, okay, so what do I need to do to make sure that that's gonna happen? Right. That's the goal, right? So at the age of 18, our expectation was, my expectation was to have a plate-breaking ceremony. Okay. That is symbolic of when that child gets 18 years old and leaves high school to either go to college or whatever they're going to do, they need to have all the skills that they need to survive. Okay. We'll give you a pictorial. They need, yeah. I need to be able to drop them off in New York City okay. with a bag full of clothes and nothing else, and they need to be able to make it. Wow. Because when you drop them off to college or someplace else, I don't care if it's a Christian school or not, you got wolves that are going to get, so what do they need to be able to do? They need to be able to manage their money. They need to be able to work. They need to be able to wash their clothes. Right. They need to be able to develop healthy relationships, right? They need to have all those skills when they leave the house. Right. So that's kind of, um, that was the MO that we had, uh, as well as understand, uh, be able to identify healthy relationships, church, faith, all that, be able to do all that stuff on their own. 
Um, so those were some things that uh, that, I, that 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 was the, the number one thing. So the challenge becomes how do you provide as well as do the other things that you're supposed to do and, and, and have your child end up with that endpoint. Right. And I can remember or not remember um, when I was in in um, Cincinnati, which is where my son was born. Okay. My daughter was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and then Topeka, Kansas. Okay. So a lot of what they did seems a blur because I was so busy trying to provide. So the amount of time was so limited. So when we moved to South Carolina and I decided to agree, disagree with my boss and start up my own business, I felt that I was trading off money for time. Right. And I can remember having a conversation with my son who was in the sixth grade at the time. Okay. I just uh, quit the job in South Carolina. He said, dad, he says, I got a question. He said, help me understand. He said, okay, you left a job and you don't have a job. <laughs> I said, right. Yeah. God will provide, which is the same thing my dad, dad said. said. Yeah. Exactly. So you had heard it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so kind of like what he did. And now that I'm thinking about it, very sim- a lot of similarities. Yeah. Right. I had time to, I didn't miss any of their events. I flexed it around my time and because you can't get that time back. Right. So the biggest challenge is time. And if I want to find out, um, Jonathan, what's important to you, all I, I can look at two things. I can look at your calendar mm-hmm. to see how you spend your time, and I can look at your bank account and see how you spend your money. Right. That's how I know what's important to you. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to uh, spend time with them, my daughter, again, my daughter was in all kinds of activities, my son, and uh, we really got to see it. I'll tell you a quick story about my son. So my son, you know, he wanted to... Um, play basketball and go to the University of North Carolina and be like Mike. Okay. That's what he wanted to do. So at the tenth in the tenth grade when he got quit, got when he got cut, he finally figured out that, you know, that might not happen. <laughs> okay. But we would always attend his games. So he's sitting on the bench 90% of the time, right? His peers who were playing got mad at him because his parents were attending the games and he wasn't playing. They were playing, and their parents were not attending the game. So that's another example of how important it is to be in the life of your children. We're going to keep this conversation going about dad life, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, that idea of time is there's always an ability to make more money. There is no ability to make more time. Can't get it back. Can't get it back. It's it's a set aside amount of time. <laughs> no pun intended. It's just what it is. And for our kids, especially young, when they're developing, those teenage years, I mean, we don't have teenage boys just yet, but even now, 
it doesn't matter what we do if I'm present and I'm there. And, you know, Jessica's there with them often as well, but there is something uniquely special about having their dad present that I, I do think is such a blessing to them, but it's also a blessing to me. I get to see my kids grow up and, and not miss as much, which I think is so important during these times. There's one thing that you said that somebody mentioned to me that I was coaching that, that, that kind of flies in the face of that. And this person said, my dad was in the home, but he was not present. Right. You know, so if you're, if you, you can be there 24 seven, but if you are sleeping mm-hmm. and mama's doing everything and you're not adding any value into discipline and stuff yeah. like that. So that sometimes can be just as bad. Yeah, I was talking to a group of people just this week, and we were talking about how some people have a fatherless home while the father still is there. That yep. They're, they're selfish, they're inactive, they're not participating, they're not engaging. They're just there, but they're not present. And I do think that that's part, for some of our dads who are listening, there is a part where, hey, being around is important. But just like we know, as adults, when there are people in our space or at a party or at a dinner, when we know they're okay, they're there, but they're not with us. Your kids know that too. Your kids know when, yeah, you're physically there, but you're not emotionally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually present with them. And sometimes that, that goes against their development. It does. And will negatively affect them. And typically, I mean, psychologists say that's when kids start acting out. Because that's when they get the attention, right? When something goes wrong, when there's a disciplinary issue. I get my dad's attention that way. So because they, because children innately want their parents' attention, they'll figure out a way to get it. And sometimes it's not always the most positive. Correct. I agree. From uh, when you started doing leadership, you said uh, the leadership training and the speaking, the coaching, that entrepreneurial side, when uh, your son was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So your daughter would have been, if I'm doing math, fourth grade, third, mm-hmm. fourth grade. So how did you talk to your your son specifically since he asked the question about the fact that you had a job, but you weren't going to a job? And I kind of asked that from my perspective. My boys have zero concept of like a normal work life, right? <laughs> so like, you know, on Mondays, dad's home's all day. And then what do you do? I'm going to work and I've got meetings. <laughs> oh, I'm talking or I'm doing the podcast right there. It's all over. How did you explain that you got a job, but you created your own job. How did all that work when you were talking but to your that, son? At that time, I hadn't created anything. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was, he was, he was right. I mean, I was, so I didn't have anything. I couldn't explain anything then. It was just okay. kind of like, I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. You know, I don't know. So how soon after you left that job, did you figure it out, if you will? <sighs> For about two months. I started looking for jobs, but at the same time, trying to determine if I want to do my own thing. Right. So I found out and felt that I couldn't do both. I got to make a decision. Okay. Am I going to work for somebody else or am I going to work for my work for myself? So I'd always, uh, that may be one of the reasons I got out of the military. I mean, I like structure, but I really don't like people telling me what to do. Okay. You know? Especially when they're very inefficient, you know, or they're telling me to do something I don't do. So I'm kind of like my dad. I always had that entrepreneurial spirit, you know. So even as I went through organizations, I, I'd always learn things and say, okay. So I'm learning some different, different skills in all these different places. Yeah. And uh, and then after about two months, I said, I'm going to step out on faith and do my own thing. So then I said, what can I do? What can I sell? And I started using my network of people, relationships. Right. I said, who do you know that I can help? 
That's kind of how I started the business. Wow. At that point in time, you know, if you had a computer and a phone, you could have a business. So that's kind of what I did. A coaching business, speaking business. That's kind of what I did. That's great. What What has been one of your favorite places to go speak? I would say probably the colleges. To see the light bulbs go off on the young people's faces. Uh, and, and, and I always like listening to listening to young people because they're pretty transparent. Yeah. And uh, they, um, I mean, they're the future generation. Uh, people will say a lot of time about you know, whatever generation you want to call it, Gen X, or it's a bunch of others, Zs and Bs and Ts. <laughs> but uh, I'm a firm believer that everybody wants the same thing, and they want to be listened to. Uh, and you got to listen before you can speak. Right. A lot of adults just speak, but it's so powerful to listen to them. And they're just as smart and as bright as the other generations. Yeah. They just have a lot of other... Um, distractions right. in their life. Yeah. So with both of your kids, Carl and Casey, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that they've taught you uh, throughout the course of your life and their life? Uh, one of the biggest lessons that they have taught me is how when you're a dad or a parent or a leader, you're always on stage. Your kids are always looking at you. Your people are looking at you. And that's a revelation. And I, I realized that the first time my son was maybe two years old or something like that. Okay. And he started doing something. I'm thinking, where did he get that from? I said, oh, I do that. When I, my mother tells me the story when I was like a year old. My dad would come home uh, after working late at night. He'd go to the refrigerator, pull out a beer, and he'd open up a beer and start drinking, right? So she told me that one day he came home. I was up. I went to the refrigerator. He opened it up. And when he did this, I said, Psh. He said, and he stopped drinking that. He, he didn't drink anymore. Wow. I don't want to be showing my kid that. Like, so that he just cold turkey didn't stop, didn't drink anymore. Just because of that. that because of that, mm -hmm. so so you know that's so realizing that you're always on stage, mm. uh, and and what's really funny is as they get older. I mean, they are a product of their environment, mm -hmm. so a lot of the mannerisms and a lot of what they do is what they get taught in the home. You ever go to a um, Clemson football game or a USC football game, and one one of the times I, I went to one and. Uh, there were these three ladies, all right, and they were walking away. They all had on an orange top, a purple skirt, and some boots. <laughs> they walked the same way. <laughs> Their mannerisms were the same way, three generations. Wow. So if you just look at people, you, you look at your sons or whatever, mm -hmm. they walk like you, they talk like you, right. the mannerisms are like you. So, you know, you're continuously developing those individuals to be like you, right? Whether you know it or not, unconsciously. So there's so much in leadership, and even things that I've heard you talk about, both on the Modern Man podcast where we met, and then listening to some of the No Rain No Rainbows with Ted. It, there must not be too many leadership principles that you share with business folks or recruiting or college students that did not affect you directly as a dad. It seems like dad life is the breeding ground 
for not only the leadership lessons that we learn, but how we lead other people. How would you talk to a dad right now who wants to be a leader of people, but right now the only people they're leading are their kids and their family? What advice would you give them? I mean, I'll, I'll do it the flip side. Okay. If you're not leading your family, but you're leading somebody else outside, what are you doing? I mean, how effective are you? You know, you got to, and the Bible talks about that. It talks about uh, a good elder mm-hmm. must be a person that does a good job of leading his family. Right. How are you going to lead the church or lead the community or lead your business if you're not leading your family? Right. You know, and a lot of men disregard that. And they think if they're making a bunch of money and motivating people, that that's success. Uh, I was doing a lecture at uh, South Carolina State with some business school students. The first question after I did my thing was, what's the most successful thing you've done in life? Hmm. And I said, rearing my son and my daughter. That's the most successful thing I've done in life. (laughs) And for a lot of dads, they probably would. Well, I guess we're speaking assumptively here. But having ha- talked to enough dads and talking to other younger dads, that's not what comes out of their mouth. What do you want to be, do to be successful? Raise my kids. That's not typically where a young dad's mind goes. But you're exactly right. Raising our kids is our most important. The mo- leading our families is the most important piece of our lives, no matter what else we accomplish. Well, think about it this way. Think about... Uh, again, you go into the future mm-hmm. and you say, okay, you, 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 I'm, 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 I'm there. You get 60, 70, 80 years old. And you know, so what's your legacy? Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody told me, and I can't remember who it was, or either I read it somewhere, and their definition of success was to rear healthy, happy, productive grandkids wow. that could be all they wanted to be. So we're not talking about your kids. We're talking the next generation. Next generation. Then you know you have, that's, that's really the ultimate goal. That's legacy right there. That's legacy. That's really thoughtful. Exactly. And wow. if your goal is that, you do some things differently. <laughs> yeah. Spend <laughs> your time differently. Work. Spend your money differently. Exactly. Your focus. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, think about, think, think about it this way. So I always look at pros and cons. Okay, so the, what's the benefit? The benefit is to be able to hold them and see them, your grandkids. What's the, what's the negative? The negative is to have a child or grandchild that's not living up to their potential, potentially on substance abuse, potentially fathering a bunch of babies that they're not in the house with. Okay, that's the downside of not doing what you're supposed to do. Right. You know, now I'm not saying that if that happens that you're a bad person. Right. But um, that's, you know, if, if there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time on different things, and that's what they end up with. Right. And I think part of the reason for doing our dad's diary, the part of interviewing and talking to dads and sharing about dad life is to reset the idea, the, the truth that focusing on our families, <laughs> focusing on our kids, being present with them is not only important, but it's critical to the future success of generations. And now obviously we can't control every decision our kids make, right? They might make choices that we disagree with that could lead them down a different path. But spending the very short amount of time, 18, 20 years compared to them living 80, 
forming them at that point is, is critical. And they've been gifted to us to steward for a length of time before they're out on their own, dropping them off in New York City with a bag of clothes. Did you actually do that? No, 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 no. Okay. No, that's symbolic. But right. I mean, when you take them to school, it's the same thing. Same thing. Wherever you drop them off. Can you drop them off? Yeah. Because, I mean, survive. yeah, I mean, I'll I give you a quick example. Um, my son was in school and he came home and he had a friend, an associate that he was living with. And the associate said, uh, won't you hold this bag for me? Put it in your locker, in the dorm. He did it, right? Full of drugs. I mean, you, you, I mean, you got all kinds of predators out there. Uh, no ma- again, no matter where you drop them off. Right. So they have to. So the trick is, how do you teach your children to be loving and um, considerate, but not be paranoid? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And the world's providing plenty of things for us to be paranoid about. Yeah. Wow. Well, Carl, as we're coming to the end of, of this podcast on Our Dad's Diary, we always end the same way for our guests. So. Can I say one more thing before you end? Of course. One thing I got to say. Got to say. The most important gift that a dad or mother can give their child okay. is the gift of adversity. Okay. Talk about that a little the bit. The ability to suffer well so and it becomes more difficult the more you have so and i'll tell you my story so i'm a first generation college student okay most of my peers were first first generation college students that look like me they went to naval academy right so my so their kids were like 10 years older than mine because i didn't get married till i was 33 right so i'm seeing these young people hearing about them 14 15 16 17 years old on drugs not going to school, and all this other kind of stuff. I'm thinking, what's that about? So my summary was this. My, my, what, I, what I surmised was this. You know, when I was going to school, uh, the future, the future, I didn't know what was out there, but I knew what was back here, and I'm not going back, right? So I'm looking this way. Okay, so if you have a child that the parents say, I'm not going to allow them to suffer like I did, so I'm going to give them everything that they need. I'm not going to have them to want for anything, right? Then they develop a, an entitlement mentality, right? So when they get 18 years old, they're looking out the rearview mirror saying, that's scary. I know what's back here. I'm getting me three squares. I got my own TV. I got room and board. Why am I going to go out there? I'm staying here at the house, okay? So creating environments when they're young, to overcome adversity in a safe environment right. is critical. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. Sports. Let's say they play sports. They lose. Okay, you have a conversation about that. Okay? You don't give them everything that they that they want, right? Yeah. You expose them to other people that don't have things. Mm. But there's all kinds of examples. If you think about it, I mean, the home ought to be a, a uh, lab for learning. <laughs> learning adversity. That's good. Because if you think about the people that have succeeded things at astronomical odds, most of the time they went through something very, very traumatic, you know? So giving them the gift of adversity is one of the most important gifts that I think you can give us on the door. When would you say, I agree wholeheartedly, when would you say you started creating opportunities, the lab, 
in your home for your kids to start overcoming adversity? They created them. Life created them. I'll give you one. So um, my daughter was in the 11th grade. She was driving, right? And But she had a habit of getting up late <laughs> and driving to school fast. So one morning she got in the car and I says, daughter, I said, uh, I'll drive you to school. I don't want you to drive. She goes anyway. I said, did she just disobey me? <laughs> I said, okay, so what am I going to do? So I called up this detective that I knew <laughs> in Clemson University. I called him up and I said, uh, detective, I says, my daughter just stole my car. And I'm going to bring her in so you can have a conversation with her to help her understand what the consequences are. So that's what we did. We sat down and he told her the consequences. Okay. Um, so what happens is these these ideas or consequences just occur. Another consequence, this happened, life happened. So my son, again, he's the number one salesperson yeah. at, at, at Champs, right? So his first boss, I mean, they were like, they were tracking. New boss comes in about a year later, oil and water, Ooh. right? So my son calls me one day and says, Dad, uh, John won't let me leave. So let me speak to John. So I spoke to John, and John says, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll leave in a few minutes. So if you're familiar with the mall and you got those big gates and stuff like that, so my son leaves, the gate comes down, the guy says, you're fired, turn in your stuff, right? Wow. So that's adversity, 17 years old, right? So I said, okay, son, what are you going to do? I said, well, there's another store down the, in the mall that I could probably go to. I said, that's what you need to do. Okay, so that's adversity, okay? Right. So he loses his job without losing his mind. Right. You know, so it's better that that happens as a 17-year-old than a 34-year-old. Right. You know, so there's all kinds of examples. You lose a, you, you lose a game and you start blaming the coach or something like that. So it's, or you're working hard to practice to get to the next level. So all those different things, it's just, you know, just when stuff happens, you, you use the opportunity as a teaching point mm. to teach values and teach lessons about hard work and work ethic and how do you treat people, all that kind of stuff. That's great. I I think that idea of using your home as a learning lab for your kids and helping them overcome adversity, not shielding them. And, and, and I, you're always protecting, but sometimes if you overprotect them from the adversity, they don't learn how to defend and protect themselves as they grow. Uh, it, maybe this is adversity or maybe this is about making your own decisions. My dad, uh, he would always say the first decision we ever let you make was which pair of socks you wanted to put on. You know, and you, we started allowing you to make your own decisions and dealing with the consequences, no matter what they were at a young age, rather than us always making decisions to teach you how to make wise decisions. But my parents, they didn't rescue me from every piece of adversity. They walked with me. They'd walk me through it. Sometimes they'd say, I'll meet you on the other side, <laughs> you know, just keep moving. So I think creating that environment, that lab is crucial for dads. Um, I am a, I transitioned from a mechanic okay. to a farmer. Okay. I'm not trying to fix my kids. I'm planting seeds. Right. And I ask for permission. A lot of times they'll be talking about something and I'll just say, listen, what, what do you want? What, what do you want me to do? And they need to tell me what they want me to do. Right. Before I give advice, because what I found is <laughs> if I give advice before they want it, it's not a good, it's not a good, it's not a good look. Right. 
asking for permission to share their share your opinion with anyone is a really good habit to create. Right. So on Our Dad's Diary, we like to give our guests an opportunity to end all the same way. So it is called Our Dad's Diary, and diaries are vulnerable and transparent. And we talk about the idea of leaving a legacy, letting our kids know what was the most important thing to us or what's the most important thing we wanted them to know. So you're going to talk right over to that camera right there. So you're not talking to me right now, but leave a diary entry. If this was your last diary entry to your two kids, Carl and Casey, what is it that you'd want them to know? What is it that you would want to leave with them if this was your last entry to them? Okay. I would say one of the most important lessons that I learned was the ability to give and receive feedback. The most powerful lesson that I've ever learned because I know what I know. The only way I can grow is to get some new information. Okay, and just like I said when I was growing up, I never discounted what my dad or my mom said. I always listened and I chew it up the bone that spit out, the stuff that I could use, I would swallow and keep, right? So being able to not only get feedback, but to give feedback, it's the lifeblood of leadership. Uh, so that would be what I would say. Well, that's great. Well, uh, Carl and Casey, you got a great dad. I'm thrilled to have been able to meet him just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, his book is on the to read list of uh, 2020 for me. So I'm excited to be able to read that. Carl, thank you so much for being on Our Dad's Diary. It's been great having this conversation with you. Thank you. My pleasure. So right now in the uh, Parker household, uh, we have been living in a hotel or an Airbnb for the last two and a half, almost three weeks, and we still have another week to go. And that's because we had a leak in our attic that while we were gone on a trip to Connecticut, just dripped all the way through our second, all the way to our second floor, and then all the way through our second floor, all the way to our first floor. And it created a lot of problems. It created a lot of uh, adversity for Jessica and I and our boys. And Titus, Judah, and Zion, you treated this like an adventure, one great adventure. You didn't see any problem with having to live in a hotel and then going to an Airbnb. You thought we were on vacation. You were loving every minute of it. And Jessica and I, uh, this was a huge point of conflict and adversity in our life. Not that we were mad or angry at each other, but up uprooting our family and moving to a hotel, moving to an Airbnb, bringing all of the supplies, trying to eat um, normal, not always having to go out because we didn't have the money. It created this element of adversity that we had to overcome, but I'll never forget what we said to you boys when we knew this was the decision we were gonna have to make. When we got off the phone and realized that we had to do this, uh, we said, we said to you, we got you all together. We said, we're going on an adventure and we're going to be doing all this. And you guys got so excited. And I think how we framed the adversity of the situation, how we framed that was the, the impetus of how we were going to get through it. 
We framed it as an adventure and that gave us the fuel, that gave us the mindset and the perspective of how we were gonna get through it. We treated it like an adventure, we named it as an adventure and you didn't view it as something bad or something that needed to be overcome. You viewed it as an opportunity and an adventure. And I think that's how uh, this concept of a learning lab that we heard about today, that making our homes a place of learning how to overcome adversity, how we frame the adversity is the perspective in which we are gonna have when we go through it. So dads and moms who are listening, or, or maybe you don't have kids and you're going through some form of adversity right now, how you frame that is the perspective you're gonna have while you're going through it. So Parker, man, I want you to name and identify the adversities in your life, but frame them in such a way that you view them as an opportunity, you view them as an adventure, you view them as a challenge that can be overcome, but don't frame it as something that's gonna hold you back, something that's going to get in your way, something that cannot be overcome. Frame your adversity in such a way that gives you the perspective and the mindset and the energy, not only to get through it, but to learn from it, to enjoy it, and to allow it to be a pivotal point in your life and a pivotal opportunity for transformation. Because how we frame adversity is the perspective in which we will have while we go through it. And Parker Man, always remember, be kind, give to others, show respect, love your mother, and never forget, your dad is really proud of you. Our Dad's Diary is a Bramble Jam podcast can be found ad-free by joining BrambleJamPlus.com. It's hosted by Jonathan Parker, produced by Brennan Gray. You can find us on social media by going to at Our Dad's Diary and clicking that follow button. See you next week.